0: We had a bit of a, as you know, a bit of a long summer. And with that came some anomalies, one of which seemed to be ants everywhere. Did, it, did anyone else have that problem? Ants everywhere. An absolute overriding invasion of, of ants. And our, our passage today is actually a lesser known parable, the parable of the 10 ants. So if you turn with me to Mark chapter 12, let me try and unpack this for you. The parable of the tenants, as it is understood. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to to verse 12 together. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press and he built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. And he sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? Well, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. The context of of this particular parable is building on from chapter 11. We see here in chapter The first verse of chapter 12, Jesus then began to speak to them. It follows on from chapter 11, and really Jesus is answering the question that they could not. The chief priests, teachers of the law, the elders, they all came to him and and they said, we've got a question about your authority. And Jesus says, well, I've got a question for you as well. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it of human origin? They can't answer that question. They get kind of caught up in that. They don't know what to do. As Tom said, and unpacked that so beautifully for us last week, as Tom said, over the the next chapter or so, we are going to see this issue of authority come up again and again and again and again. And it's uncomfortable. Why? Because we're Australians. There is a part of our culture which is clashing directly with what Scripture is saying at the moment. And Scripture is going to tear open our culture and is going to reach in there in an uncomfortable kind of a fashion and is going to mess with some ill-placed beliefs and values that we often call cherished in our society as part of our egalitarian attitude that's what God is going to do and it's going to be terribly uncomfortable over the next couple of weeks but here we are Jesus answers the question now of verse 29 which he asked the teachers of the law and so forth he asked them a question they couldn't answer it and so now via a parable he answers it for them and it's not actually that confusing a parable in fact some parables were you know somewhat obscure and the disciples in quiet quarters, needed to to ask Jesus, "What, what did you mean by that? But this one actually is quite clear, and we know that from verse 12, when Mark tells us that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the elders, immediately looked for a way to arrest Jesus, fulfilled the prophecy of the parable, essentially, because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. They knew exactly, immediately, what this parable was about. As it happened, they were afraid of the, the crowd and they had to wait for a more opportune time. The parable, the meaning of it, is not hidden. It's actually quite overt in this, in this case. And it's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. There is an owner, there is a vineyard, and there are some tenants. One space, two players. The owner of the vineyard has actually provided everything. And it's interesting, Luke would be sort of that gospel writer that we, we expect usually to give more detail about things. But Mark actually gives us quite a bit of detail here. And we know that, firstly, this is not just a bare field that could be rented out and, hey, you come in and do what you want with it. No, he actually planted the vineyard. The work's being done. A vineyard is actually planted. Not only that, this is no ordinary vineyard, which you know sheep and goats could wander into and eat. He actually has put a wall around it. There is a, a beautiful plot of ground. There is a vineyard that has been planted. There is a wall around it. In fact, this feels extravagant. He's actually even, even built, a, built a hole a space for a, for a wine press, and then on top of that, a watchtower. This is, this is an awesome vineyard to have. Everything has been provided. You couldn't come in there to this vineyard and kind of say, well, you know what? All it was was a, was a plot of land to start with. Look what I've made it. Look at everything that I have done to build this up. Look how clever I am. I, I kind of have some rights here. No. It's all been done. The owner has done it all. The vineyard is there. The wall is there. The watchtower, the pit for the wine press, everything is absolutely done. Whoever the, the tenant is can, can simply can come in and say, hey, well, thank you. This is amazing. Look at all that you've done. I'll, I'll try and steward it and take care of it as best as I can. So we have the owner. We have a remarkable vineyard, and then we have our tenants. And they come in, and, and verses through verses 2 to 8, we see this, this appalling behaviour. They not only reject the message, but they reject the messenger as well. And what was, the, what was the message? In Matthew's account of this same parable, he includes this little side note, which just answers the question which we probably all anticipate, When the messenger comes and says, well, I'm here to collect, you know, some of the fruit of the harvest, Matthew tells us very, very clearly what we might assume, and that is that this is the rent. This is the share that is owed to the owner. It's his share. This is actually rightfully his. Now, we We can't see the the statement of understanding and we can't read all of the fine print of the terms and conditions, but we know from that one little hint in Matthew that what the messenger was doing was entirely right and proper. He was coming rightfully for his share of the fruit, of the harvest that was owed the owner by the tenant. This was not an unreasonable request. But when the owner comes for what is rightfully his, when he sends his messenger, the message and the messenger is rejected. And we see this appalling treatment of the messengers. The first one they beat. The next one they strike him and treat him shamefully. The next one they kill. He sends others and they either get beaten or killed until finally He sends his only son whom he loves dearly, thinking, well, surely they will respect my own son. But they don't. It's an old, old problem. It's not new. It's human nature, it's sin. If you don't like the message, shoot the messenger. If you don't like, the message shoot the messenger we actually we actually have that little idiom don't we and here it is in scripture as a warning for each of us i wonder it's very easy isn't it always to think about a passage like this and firstly say well this applies to those terrible, terrible tenants, which we know is actually the uh, scribes and teachers of the law and so on. Or we can, we can bring it into our contemporary situation today, and we can easily, easily say, ha-ha, this applies too, and we can build up our little list, can't we? But that's a too easy a trap to fall into. What does this say to you and I? What does this say to me? What messengers has God sent to me? What moments have there been when I've opened up Scripture and I've looked at a passage and I've said, oh, wow, that's a tough word. (laughs) Let's move on. It's just like shooting the messenger. Didn't like the message, so I turned the page. Ever done that? What about somebody, maybe a good friend maybe not a good friend, <laughs> who's come along and they've, well, they've had a word for you, and they deliver it in an acceptable way. You know what? I, I got this. It could be from God. I'll leave it with you. I, I, I don't know. But it's there, and you have a read. <laughs> well, don't like it? Fold it up. But in the fire, but should we take a moment? All right, Lord, it was given in love. Could be from you. I don't want to shoot the messenger just because I don't like the message. All right, help me, help me here. Is there something here for me to see? See, we all do it, don't we? We all do it. For we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone our own way. We face a constant battle with sin. If we deny that, then perhaps God is not in us, says John. We know it's a constant battle. We know we need constant messages from God. The worst possible scenario for your life or my life is silence from God. The most tragic part possibly of the entire Bible is the part not recorded. We call it the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was no word from God. Honestly, the worst possible thing that could happen to you or the worst possible thing that could happen to me is silence from God. We need to hear from God. He's our heavenly father. We can trust him. When He speaks a message to us, we need to pray, beg, plead God by His Spirit to give us the grace to receive what is truly from Him. We need discernment. We need to sort stuff out. We need to work out what is not. We need to learn lessons about, well, does it give hope? Does it talk about a future? Does it does it come with conviction? If it's coming with guilt and condemnation and it's and it feels hopeless, it probably isn't from God. But if it's hopeful and it talks about a future, and if it comes with just that that conviction that you sense is from the Spirit of God, then by the grace of God, please help us to receive it. But it is so tempting, so tempting in those moments to say, I don't like the message. Goodbye, messenger. We turn the page. We tear up a word from God. We block our ears. We stop listening to the preached word. We we quit a we quit a freedom in Christ course, which nobody's done. So I sort of just made that up on the spot. But well, I hope nobody has. <laughs> we withdraw from those places that make us feel uncomfortable because we don't like the message but in effect we're simply shooting the messenger and so we have a we have a warning a warning here perhaps one of the most sober cautions and it's it's really for all of us to hear is is that which comes to us through the book of hebrews now, granted, God's people, when this letter was written to them, were in a tough place. We are talking an oppression and persecution like we have never seen, seriously. We are talking about the rule of Nero. We are talking about Christian wicks, not Wicks, wicks, but nice hat, but but Christians who have are placed in a barrel of tar and lit like a wick. We are talking extreme persecution. Sorry, that just exceeded PG. But nonetheless, the author to the book of the Hebrews writes and says, in that situation, do not switch off from the message. Do not turn away. Do not reject the word of God. And chapters 1 to 6 just are filled with, with warnings. Just, just absorb some of this. Imagine amidst great persecution you're receiving this. Listen to the word of God speaking to you. Start at chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. The owner of the vineyard sends one messenger after another. There were many, many prophets. Some got beaten, some got killed. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. This is not just back into gospel times, Teachers, scribes, and so this is to Christians. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Verse 13, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Chapter 5, verse 12. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And then lastly, chapter 6, verse 4. It is impossible. This is where the warning just goes. It builds and builds and builds. Can you you hear that? It builds and builds and builds to this dire warning. Chapter 6, verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away it is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance wow that is a hard word it'd be remiss of me if i just kind of in my study had that thought and just thought that's too harsh i'm going to skip over it <laughs> turn in the page We may not feel comfortable about the message, but don't shoot the messenger. Receive the word of God. It brings life. And a rejection of the word of God brings death. The parable goes on and we see in this final part what the real motive's And the real problem is here with these tenants. The owner says, well, I have one messenger left to send to some whom I love. They will respect him. The tenants say to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. The problem, a covetous heart covetous heart. They wanted what was not theirs. They did not trust God to give them what they needed. And so they decided to take it for themselves. We don't trust God. And so we decide to take things for ourselves. I remember... um, I was working with Pioneers. Tim, Tim Myers took a period of sabbatical, and he spent oh the first few weeks just reading through the Bible from cover to cover in his busyness. He was in the Word by all means every day, but he, it had been a long time since in one sitting, you know, with a little bit of sleep and eating, he had just read the Bible from cover to cover. So he spent, I don't know how long it was, it was the first week or so, I think, just doing that every day, just reading, 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 reading. And... Uh, I remember just thinking, well, well, what what was it that you saw afresh, Tim, that you hadn't seen for a long time? And it was very, very simple, and it was immediate. He said, proprietorship. Proprietorship. Ownership. From chapter 3 in Genesis, where Eve takes something that was not rightfully hers, and Adam shares in that, from that point on, a taking, 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 taking of what is not ours. Now, we can think about material things there, can't we? But it's not just material things. It's positions, it's land, it's reputation, it's control, it's rule, it's reigns, it's kingdoms, it's countries, it's taking, 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 taking. In fact... Nothing seems to have changed because by the time we turn to James, the book of James, chapter 4, James says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. It seems to be a theme that goes all the way through Scripture. Proprietorship, ownership, taking that which which isn't rightfully ours. The word for covet is an interesting word. It, It actually means to burn with desire for. So it's not just sort of, um, remember the definition of theft was appropriating goods belonging to another with the intention of permanently depriving them of it. That's very technical, isn't it? But I like covet. Burning with desire for. And it can be burning with desire for envy, uh, boiling over, as it were, with, with hatred, with lust, But it literally is like a pot on a stove which is boiling over. It has got hotter and hotter and hotter with desire, hotter and hotter and hotter until it can no longer be contained and it just erupts and causes an incredible mess. That's coveting. Desire burning and burning and burning until it boils over and just creates a huge mess. Jesus is essentially in this parable saying these tenants were burning with desire for this. They were coveting the land, what was not yet theirs. Could they not have just rightfully paid the owner his due? No, they wanted it all. They would kill the son. They would take the inheritance. They would have it all. And again, it, by way of application, It's very easy to think about how bad they were (laughs) or, well, what about other people here in the church? But as always, bring it back to yourself and just ask yourself, what do I boil over with? What am I burning with desire for that if not constrained by the spirit of god and submitted and surrendered to him what in my life may just erupt one day and create a foul mess please jesus save me from that good prayer that yeah save me from that jesus one of the one of the ways I try to deal with this. And one of, the, one of the things that you can look for in your own life is, is talk where you hear yourself saying the word my. <laughs> my church. My ministry. My actions, my giving, my this, my that. When we attach the word my to it, it's possessive. It's kind of like, you know, putting something in your offering bag and then finding that you actually your hand still in the bag. Follows the bag back to the front to the counting. Your hand still on the dollar. From the counting to the office, it follows to the bank. You never actually let go. But now, picture it's not a dollar. Picture it's a ministry. Picture it's a it's an administration of grace from heaven, which we we might call a a gift of the spirit. Picture it's this, picture it's that, picture it's whatever it might be, whatever gift that comes from your heavenly father above. Picture your hand on that and you're not letting go because you have become possessive about it. We've got to let go. We've got to take our, our hand out of the bag got to take our hand off the ministry, take our hand off the church. We've got to let go. We've got to release. We've got to surrender to God. It's the only way forward. If I had to sum up this passage in in just one sentence, I would say this because we're talking essentially, remember, about the kingdom of God here. I would say those who try to control the kingdom will have the kingdom taken from them those who try to control the kingdom will have the kingdom taken from them. And this is exactly what happens. Jesus poses the question. He says, okay, well, well what then will the owner of the vineyard do? Now, in Matthew, there's a little bit of a, it's not so much a rhetorical question, there's actually a reply. In fact, I, in fact, I love, well, well, he will take those wretched people and he will he wrench will this away from them, <laughs> you know, say the listeners to this. Jesus affirms that understanding. He says, "Yeah. He will come and he will kill those tenants, he will give the vineyard to others." That's exactly what will happen. People who try to hang on to the kingdom of God, God will take that kingdom from them. It's not your kingdom. People who try to hang on to the things of the kingdom, it will be taken from you. We must have that that surrendered posture. We must receive the kingdom with open hands and then maintain those open hands or else there will be a transfer of ownership. The ownership will pass from us to the authority, to the place where it should be, and that is that of Jesus Christ. It's a given. It's a surety. It's a guarantee. It's absolutely 100% certain. The stone that the builders rejected Has become the capstone. The Lord has done it, and this is marvelous. (laughs) Everything, 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 all things on earth and in heaven have been placed in the hands of Jesus, and He can be trusted. Keep them in His hands. He's the only one who can be trusted. All authority is mine, says Jesus. Keep it in the hands of Jesus. It all belongs to Him. Keep it in the hands of Jesus. It's a marvellous thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful fulfilment of Psalm 118. Earlier, the crowds were quoting Psalm 118 saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now Jesus finishes off the psalm for them and says, Absolutely, absolutely, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is marvellous. Exactly what you were crying out for has now happened. It's It's taken place. We need to receive these things with open hands.